I feel I'm in a big momentum patch right now. And I feel that is because people are aware of mental health and the fact that food can be such a huge player in it. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. A career accessing and cooking the very best produce and creating the most incredible dining experiences can often be at odds with the diets and lifestyle of many in the hospitality industry. The long hours, the late nights, the high energy, the need to release stress can all play a role in an unhealthy life. What impact can a change in diet have on those carving out careers in hospitality? Lizzie Fiducia is the owner of Messy Spoon. Lizzie, how are you? Hello, Anthony. I'm very good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. You uh, set yourself a goal to um, change the negative impacts of the lifestyle um, within sort of the food industry with what you do. What, what triggered that for you? So I think um, basically after a career in the commercial kitchen industry and being a chef um, and also, you know, what all that brings with the high intensity, as you said, all of those reasons that came about to myself only once I actually left the industry. Um, after being in the commercial kitchens, I became a recipe developer and it was pretty much instantly, once I had a little bit more time um, to myself and to sort of look back over, the, over my career and realise what was happening with my mental health and my body and my mind and um, things related with food were so closely connected to food that that was the issue. I I didn't realise that I was, you know, eating, you know, whatever it is, polenta chips from the deep fryer bowl leftover or brownies late at night because you haven't eaten for 15 hours because you've been on your feet prepping all day. Um you know, it's not good. It's not, you wouldn't normally go around eating brownies at one o'clock in the morning and then have five hours sleep and carry on for another 16 hour shift. Like it's normal to us. And if you're in the industry, that's what becomes normal. But I suddenly realized when I had time to think that that was, of course, not normal. And, and I just found it crazy that I had all this access and my friends and colleagues had all this access to all this amazing food. We didn't yet have the, the time or the knowledge or the know-how, I guess, to put that on ourselves and help ourselves with what we had access to and think about the food that we're putting in our body was actually fueling us, you know. I think how many hours or more I could do better if I was eating healthier. Um, you know, I would have been on fire. <laughs> well, I'd love to explore Messy Spoon and, and what you do there shortly, but take us back to when you were young. When did food become of interest to you and you realised that, that you could make a career from it? Right. Um I mean, think looking back, it's it's clearly from a very early age. I had um, I was lucky enough to have a dad who was very passionate about growing fruit and veg and um, teaching us about it. So I can remember going down with my brothers and sisters after school, and you know we'd learn about what was ready to pick, um, why it was ready to pick, how we could tell, and you know how to clean it best, and what grew when, and. 
all things like that, just without even realizing you're getting this incredible insight with produce. Um, as a child, I think that's a very lucky thing to have. And when you see it being plucked out the ground and, you know, then my mum manages to make something incredible out of it and we're all sitting around a table within an hour of having picked it. I think things like that really stick with you. And I think that planted a seed from, you know, from the age of three, I, I think we must have been doing it. Um, so I think that's where it's all started. And I think it obviously ran in the family because my sisters both had catering companies as well. And I got to help them growing up and, you know, what wasn't to love about doing all their dirty dishes and hanging out with them as a 12 year old earning top money, um, helping them. So make beautiful canapes. So I think, I think that's where it all began. Take us back to when you first started working in commercial kitchens, uh, do you have any stories of those times when you were learning the ropes? <laughs> um, yeah, I probably got hundreds. Um, one one sticks to one sticks to my mind very well, actually. And I think I was probably only a few weeks into my apprenticeship. I was working in a Michelin-starred restaurant in the south of England, and I had um, it was actually an Australian. Um, head chef she she was pretty fierce but she was very good and I remember she called me junior and she'd you know she said one one early morning shift junior you know more mushrooms online and I just thinking I was so hot on my toes ran in got the mushrooms popped them on her service bench and of course, they were thrown back in my face because um, they they had to be prepared. I couldn't just dump the the veggies on on her bench, and I think that was um, I laugh about it now. But I remember being so petrified and embarrassed at the time. But it didn't deter me. It only made me want it more. So that was a good story. Yeah. Who were the main influences uh, in your career when you were working in the UK? Um, main influences. The main influence, I have to say, um, is Jamie Oliver. Um, I remember looking at him and I actually ended up working for him, which uh, at that young age was unimaginable that I would look at him on TV and then be able to work for him with his teams was was something out of a fairy tale for me. Um, and he continued, I think, to be a very big influence. He was just so friendly and approachable and lovable. I just don't know how anyone couldn't adore him. And he his that came through in his food. And I guess that influence has shaped from then all the way up until Messy Spoon and will hopefully shape the rest of my food life. Um, so I think he's probably the biggest one. Tell us about your time working uh, with the Jamie Oliver Oliver group. Um, what, what was your role and, and what, what, what was it like? Um, I started off as a, as a mere um, anti-pasty chef, actually. Um, I didn't have a huge amount of experience and they picked me up um, easily because I'd worked for Jamie's in the UK. So I was pretty lucky and I'd only moved to Australia a few months before. Um, working for Jamie's, it was super popular at that time. Oh, my God. We had queues down the whole of George Street, um, like nothing you've ever seen before. And the, the energy and the pace, the produce, everything that we were using and doing was phenomenal. Um, and because of that high pace, I managed to grow up the ranks quite quickly. Um, I also worked, worked pretty damn hard to do it, but, um, 
but it created, um, I ended up basically being a group training chef, which meant that I got to go around from city to city and, um, you know, dot around the country training and opening new restaurants, which was unbelievable experience. A challenge, but unbelievable. What were some of the challenges of, of that role? Um, I would say um, being a near dwarf, five foot one, blonde, um, blonde woman trying to teach and train much more experienced um, male head chefs than me and telling them how to do things. That was a huge challenge, but um, probably the biggest and the hardest and one that I struggled with the most. You know, how can I tell a 45 year old chef who's got much more experience than me how to do something the Jamie way? And um, I did struggle with that. But actually, you know what? I think me and those chefs, we ended up having a mutual respect for each other because of, um, you know, what I was doing and what I was teaching them and how I was having to teach them and them understanding that I was doing my job to the best of my ability and ended up being pretty good at it. That, you know, that mutual respect was was grew naturally and it was probably one of the things that changed my life and the remaining of my career once I nailed that because it didn't stop me. I never felt stopped or held back because of who or what or where I'd come from or, you know, what gender I was. So I think it was really integral, a, a challenge that was very integral to um, the pathway that I then went on and especially with Messy Spoon. So, yeah, I wouldn't change it. And tell us about that period of time. You you transitioned away from commercial chefing and have done many things, including recipe recipe development. Um, tell us about that period of time and, and that transition and why you moved out from the commercial kitchen. Um, right. So I think um, moving away from commercial kitchens, I had to do. I, um, as mentioned in the beginning, I wasn't probably in a very good uh, mental health space. I, I actually struggled with an eating disorder for a lot of my life. And it sounds so silly to be, you know, in a, um, struggling with that in a career in food, like a moth to a flame. But it was what helped me and what has helped me get through it. And that combining with the poor state of mental health just because of, you know, that lack of nutrition, the lack of sleep, the lack of exercise, which was being created through my um, hospitality life just meant that I needed to move on. I I had to be involved in food somehow. There was no way I was ever leaving that side to it. And it just seemed that so luckily, you know, that I was able to be introduced to um, people at Women's Weekly and Bauer Media and that, that got me an in to that side of the industry. And I am forever grateful, yeah, that I managed to make that switch to still be involved with food, um, you know, but not necessarily being that commercial environment. So that that was sort of that, that merge into recipe development and leaving commercial kitchens. The mental health of people in the hospitality industry is not an uncommon thing. It's quite prevalent because of the nature of the industry. How, how did you overcome the issues that you had and, and confront them? Um, I think 
I can, I think starting Messy Spoon was my own personal way of confronting them. I think it wasn't even, I, we've come such a long way in the industry and in, in life in general about talking about mental health. For me, you know, for the idea to me to say to one of my colleagues or chef friends, oh yeah, I'm, I'm actually struggling with an eating disorder. I mean, they, they wouldn't have known what to do for a start and I'm sure they would have been very supportive, but it's not something that you can, that you, I mean, it just sounds ridiculous. So basically I had to face it. I knew I had to face it. Um, and I think starting Messy Spoon with the goal of nourishing food being the being the pinnacle and being the end you know the beginning and end goal with nourishing products nourishing ingredients thought about consciously selected consciously created was my way of dealing with it and my way of pulling myself out of it um along with the the fact that when you do have your own business you do have that power to say okay, yes, tomorrow morning I have to start at 4am to do packing of deliveries, but tomorrow I will get up at six and I'll go for a run. And you have that time and that, that sort of, you can, you have the power to curate your life a little bit more. And yeah, so Messy Spoon was really how I, how I fixed myself, I would say. What was your first step out of the commercial kitchen? Um, I actually went so I went from Jamie's um and then my I went from Jamie's left that because I got my I was able to get my PR and um, I was time to move on from that I'd got enough out of the role and vice versa then from me I think um and my great friend was um had just got a job being an executive chef to open Acre Eatery in Camperdown and he um asked me to come on board with him and my God, was that a dream job? You know, it was It was actually also in hindsight, the perfect balance between not leaving the industry too fast, but also being able to really hone in on what I love to do, which was to create recipes. Um, also, it meant that, you know, I, you, I think you're from around that area, so you might be, you might know Acre, uh, the Camperdown Commons, but you were able to go out and pick the flowers to decorate and pick the herbs. And it was very much back to that dad's veg, veg patch when I was four years old, you know, it was sort of bringing me back to that. So I think that was a fantastic, um, you know, journey to leaving commercial kitchens. You mentioned um, you joined Bauer to do recipe development. What, what's that role like compared to the world of a, of a commercial chef? Um, that's interesting. Um, you know what? I think I went in there thinking, probably with a bit of the um, chefy confidence, thinking that because I was a chef, I would be able to create these incredible recipes that they'd never seen before. And, you know, I'd swoop in and be this knight in shining armor. However, let me tell you, it is very hard to create a recipe. I think even more so because I'd been a chef and I was so used to just throwing things together and going with your instinct and your taste buds and, you know, flying by the seat of your pants type thing. Being a recipe developer, yeah, the pace was slower, but my gosh, you know, you really think about the flavors, the taste, the process, everything, the way that you, I would do something 
um, you know, do a thing that throw potatoes in a pan or something like that. And I would have missed five steps without even realizing. And these incredible women who were around me writing these incredible recipes were so patient with me, <laughs> so patient. And they have taste buds of bloodhounds. I swear to God, <laughs> they just know everything. They pick out the, the minorest thing. And yeah, it was an incredible experience. Very, very, very different. Um, but essentially the same goal and that is to get people cooking food enjoying food and eating food so yeah a different a different method to a same goal if that makes sense what did you learn from your time there um i learned i learned a lot about how to make food look yummy um, and look delicious because a lot of it was involved was doing was creating and cooking the food for the photo shoots and for the books and magazines and things um, so I did learn a lot that of that sort of side to it but also as I mentioned the taste buds thing and, and actually thinking so hard about what flavors because I feel like I took it for granted. And when you have an incredible produce in a restaurant and quite, and especially for Jamie's, things were quite often written for us. Um, and I think when you're, when you're forced to have ingredients that people can access from a home supermarket or a grocery store and create incredible different recipes with those things, um, with appliances and time that people have at home, which is none, um, to create a recipe with all of those elements was a massive learning curve and probably um, one of the hardest things to learn, I think. Tell us about Messy Spoon. What was it like going on that journey to create that at the beginning? What were the challenges um, heading down that path to create these nutritious and healthy um, meals? Um, I think very beginning was... The f getting your hands on affordable, healthy produce for a small business, you know, um, I, the actual logistics of saying, okay, I want to make a banana bread that doesn't have refined sugar. So I want to use coconut sugar because that's what's going to go best for my recipe. Being able to afford as a small business the minimum order for amount of coconut sugar, for example, is is near impossible and it would set you bankrupt. Um, so having to buy small batches of that from a supermarket initially, you know, things like that were real. They were small challenge. They were sort of glitches. They weren't, I, I guess, you know, it was all achievable. But that was an initial challenge that stuck out to me. I was thinking, how am I going to be able to make any money when I'm, I can't charge so much for the product just because I can't get my hands on the, you know, a good value product yet. Um, so I sort of had this period where I was spending probably way too much on produce compared to what I was charging. Um, but, you know, that, that, that was only a small bit of time in that past. And obviously now I'm able to make the order quantities and stuff like that. So it's not an issue. Um, but also availability of those products. Um, you know, we use buckwheat flour and quite often it might not be available or um, we have to use different ones and just the same as normal wheat flour, it, it reacts differently in breads and cakes and things like that. So yeah, getting to know the ingredients and, and things like that was was a bit of a challenge, but we've we've sort of nailed it, I would say by now. What was it like for you creating uh, the recipes given your chefing background and chefs love that fat is flavor and 
you know, big flavors and you were heading down a really nutritious, healthy path. Were there challenges in changing your mindset? Um, do you know what? There wasn't any challenges in changing my mindset. I'm a little bit of a stickler for, um, how do I put it? Sort of, you know, if I don't believe in something, I find it very hard to do. So there was things like in the beginning, um, the huge focus on all this health. And if it didn't have coconut oil in it, then how could I possibly sell it as a health product? Which to me just sounded ridiculous because, you know, olive oil or extra virgin olive oil was for me, as I knew, and, and lots of, you know, was going to be the best way to go forward. So I, to be honest, I kind of stuck with my guns and we do make our breads with extra virgin olive oil still and it is the more expensive option but as you say fat is flavor um so i i have i've managed to stick with my guns and um it has just taken a little bit of time i guess to convince not myself but the customers and potential wholesale customers that that is the way forward and also that I know it's a bit more expensive, but just as you would pay more money in your incredible venue for the premium meat and and locally raised grass-fed stuff, then why not put that as effort into sourcing your gluten-free breads or your, you know, if you're a cafe, your raw vegan snack bars, like that they should be as thought about because unfortunately, no matter how much chefs want to deny it, the demand is there um, for those products. And I think it's going to be a really interesting time to see that hopefully I can be one of those people and Messy Spoon can help people realise that it is worth putting that extra money in um, to those products. But we'll see. Time will tell. I've got a lot of work to do. How did you choose um, what you were going to produce for the Messy Spoon range? Um, It was pretty natural because it was a natural process and actually COVID has has sort of uh, ensured that I've been kept on my toes and had to make a few changes um, and we were only young so we only had about a year before COVID um, and I chose yeah I chose what I wanted to eat and now I'm a bit of a I'm a 100% sweet or 100% savory I sort of I love both of them um and with the savory side i had to start with bread because it's the base of everything it was just the base of everything for me um and for so many and so that that is how the good gut loaf came about which is our signature product um and for me it was never about saying i never sat down and said right we need a gluten free product and we need a vegan product and we need a this product and we need a that it was what do I want to create? What do I want to eat? What do I know is genuinely nutrient dense and going to benefit my customers and me because I wasn't going to sell anything that I wasn't, you know, wanting to eat every day. Um, and that the bread was just came completely naturally from that. I couldn't even, I couldn't tell you. It's sort of like adding how much salt you add. You don't know, you just add it. Um, but then moving on from that, the products, um, were it did sort of go it was small enough and when I was talking to to restaurants and cafes 
quite often they would say to me, oh, we really want this. And I'd say, oh, cool, let's make it. Let's make it for you. Let's make it together um, and create it. And actually with my one of my biggest customers now, they've got nine venues and I do a lot of work in creating the products with them that then I have in my range and can sell you know sell on and create and develop so i'm very lucky it hasn't been too structured as it were but you know messy spoon it's not really about structure is it (laughs) (laughs) how long did it take to gain momentum with messy spoon and, and what were a couple of the early wins in the business um i would say the momentum is i'm at i'm i'm still in it the momentum i would say that COVID has, I can't tell whether COVID has helped or not helped because we're such a young business. You know, I wouldn't know any other way. I haven't got much to compare it to, but I feel I'm in a big momentum patch right now. And I feel that is because people are aware of mental health and the fact that food can be such a huge player in it. Um, But also that, you know, your share of voice um as that increases i think obviously the momentum builds and i a huge win for me was i was um i had a baby and i was i had a few few surgeries post his birth and i was walking out the hospital with him in tow and my husband and we walked into one of my favorite venues which was a cali press and i just wanted to feel good and happy and healthy after eating hospital food for 3 days and i just ended up getting chatting to the executive chef. And can you believe that me, after I was so furious, I'd been days off work and I couldn't cope. I was so angry. I'd been away from the kitchen and all this. And then as a result of this hospital visit came one of my my biggest clients. And yeah, I thought that was pretty phenomenal. Pretty, pretty good going. You mentioned that um, Messy Spoon and the creation of it and the, the focus on that healthy sort of nutritious diet was uh, would help, helped you with mental health issues and, and an eating disorder. What, what sort of impact has Messy Spoon and, and its success so far had on you? Um, I would say it has helped me grow personally hugely. It's made me more patient, Um it's made me more confident um, and it's changed my perception, I guess, of what I thought my career would end up being. Um, I think Messy Spoon is it's, it's part of me now. <laughs> It always has been, but um, I think it will be for a very long time. But yeah, I think one of the big things is it's given me confidence and it's given me um, a platform to ensure that my beliefs and my real passion to do with health food and nutrient-dense food has somewhere to be and it has somewhere to grow from and to shout from um, and to try and learn more and more and more about um yeah so it's just it's really created a that platform for me personally and hopefully for customers and clients um in the future for people working in the food service sector what advice would you have for them to look after themselves i would say that 
yes, you went to bed at 2 a.m. and you feel exhausted, but get up and go for a run, for a walk, for a swim, fresh air, outdoors. Um, I'd say that's one of the most incredible, important things, you know, locking yourself up in bed because, of course, you're exhausted and tired is one of the main things. Um, as soon as you go on a walk or get some fresh air, you're going to realise you've got actually a bit of an appetite because you haven't eaten properly for a few days. And, and you know, fill that with, what, with food that you're conscious about. So, you know, don't I, I can't tell chefs what to do, what to eat and or, or things like that, obviously. But just think, think for a second, you know, is that actually going to be what's good for my body, my brain right now? I can eat my food at work, but when you're not at work, just maybe have that slight second before you're doing it and before you're realizing what you're eating. Um, and don't be too hard on health food because it's not all bad. <laughs> What's next for Messy Spoon and its journey? Um, we've got a few things on the horizon. Um, we have got retail. So we've currently got a few products which are ready to go into retail. Then um, things will be popping up in grocery stores and things like that around Sydney um, in the in the near future and we've also got our little shop. So the, the production kitchen, we've got a new um, kind of laneway kitchen very trendy in Surrey Hills. I'm not quite cool enough to be in Surrey Hills yet, but you know, we'll get there. Um, and that we're going to have a shop there. So a section of the production kitchen is going to be cornered off and we're going to have all of our fresh breads and um, things like that available for people to grab and go and sort of almost like a little corner grocery store. So it's incredibly excited about that. But um, we've sort of had to wait and being held back a little bit because of COVID. We're not quite sure when it's going to reopen and when we're going to be able to get people down there. But yeah, so those those are the two main things that we've got coming up. Well, Lizzie, uh, we've loved hearing your story today on Deep in the Weeds. Um, good luck with everything and congratulations. Please keep in touch and we'll talk again soon. Will do. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Anthony. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.